Hello and welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God. That's right, Cat's not here this week. Cat is out sailing the high seas and is not here to host all the festivities for us. Instead, in her place, uh, Nadia and I will be taking up the reins and maybe having some fun. Uh, you know, it's doing what we do when Cat is not here. I am your one of your interim hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Nadia Oxford. Nadia, how you doing? Uh, I'm okay, but I'll tell you what, the Luca Goers suck. The Luca Goers do suck. They I suck really, ass. I, They're mm, terrible. I can't wait for the now playing segment because I really just want good Final Fantasy X <laughs> takes from you specifically. <laughs> this is going to be a good month. Uh, yeah, we're here, Axe of the Blood God. Uh, so Kat is going to be gone for the next couple weeks, out sailing the high seas, uh, stealing the riches of merchant ships and stuff. Uh, so... In the meantime, it'll just be the two of us. We'll get some guests on. Don't worry. We'll have a good time with it. Uh, housekeeping, as always, uh, you know, check out our Twitter, twitter.com slash bloodgodpod. Head over to the Patreon. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. You can back us, support us in all the things we do. And if you like what you hear, you can leave a review over on whatever podcatcher you use, Spotify, Apple, uh, what what other podcatchers are there? I actually I don't use one. So uh, it's Spotify, fascinating to me. Uh Libsyn, maybe? I don't know if that's Libsyn, a podcatcher. Yeah, like or... like our RSS feeds still popular. If you still like RSS feeds, send us a message. <laughs> Join the Discord <laughs> and tell us. Pocket Cast. That's another one I've heard of. Pocket Casts. Uh yeah, leave a review. Only five stars though. You know, that's yeah, all we everything want. Everything else can go in the garbage. <laughs> If you don't, if you don't, if you don't leave five stars, we're, we're feeding you to the Malboro. You know, that's how it goes. So, <laughs> uh, and shout outs as always to our stars at destiny, our folks that back at the highest level and get to hang out live and watch us record these every week. Uh, this week, that list is LJF Teeps, Abby of the moon, Brian C nerd, Kal-El and Sardin. See all of you in the chat here. Love having y'all around. One out of five stars, too much, Eric. Not enough, Eric, frankly. You're about to get an overdose. You're, you're going to get enough, Eric, to sustain you through the, the cold winter months is what we're doing today. But summer's just starting. Exactly. Look, look, that's why we get it in now. We get in the hunting now. Am I being hunted? Is that the implication? I don't know. <laughs> we squirrel you away for the winter. Uh. A reminder for everybody, the top 25 ranking pod is out for everyone, free listeners and backers alike. Uh, It's a good time. It was a really good time. Uh, I think it was a good exercise. Uh, Definitely created some controversy. I think some longstanding blood feuds in the discord, frankly, (laughs) the the messages I'm still seeing from some people. I'm like, oh, this is not this is not going to to rest for some time uh, i think most I did people not are pretty happy with it though like uh, mostly yeah. i mean yeah. this week we got a, a postmortem, so we get to explain ourselves before the the jury like in uh i don't know think of it as uh the pink floyd video the with the wall we're all standing in front of the jury good morning warm mm-hmm. your honor the crowd has played me so and you can all do the musical <laughs> bit if you want uh yeah it's so that is the main topic for this week. So we did record early uh, before Kat left and we did a whole postmortem uh, pretty long. It was almost like an hour long. It was a pretty long talk about all the decisions we made. We responded to a bunch of questions people had, comments, suggestions, that sort of thing. Uh, and I think really just dove into both the process, some of our thinking. You know, there, there are definitely some places that people kind of wanted 
expansion on uh that that we were happy to give uh so that's that's going to be the main section but before we get to that uh we do have a few other things to get to a few other show segments also if you want to check out the top 25 but you don't want to listen to the whole thing or you just want to recall it later you want to read the written word head over to bloodgodpod.com our blog site that we are trying to get uh contented up a little bit more uh, where we have a text form Content where up. where Nadia once again dipped into the dark well of listicle and made listicle. <laughs> yes, it's content. been a while, but I sure did listicle. Uh, it's actually kind of funny because there's a whole segment, like the whole middle of the document is just me, like my <laughs> contributions to the, it just somehow happened. It was pretty funny. The, the top 25 blurbs actually, I think were beautiful in the way that they summed up all of our tastes because like Kat, Kat, you're great you were a lot of the top blurbs and then I maybe had like one or two in there. And then Nadia was all the middle and mine were all the low. <laughs> was like, all the, all the like fringe cases and stuff like, like ones bloodlines and all that. I was like, oh boy, let me edge. talk about bloodlines. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was a great time. So go check that out. We had, we had a lot of fun writing the blurbs too. It was, it's a nice thing to remember the RPGs that you've played in the past and like, but we're here to talk about RPGs of the present as in what we're playing. And I will start first because I've got a bit of a theme to mind. And also because I do want to spend some time talking about Nadia's Final Fantasy X. So we'll save that for a second. Uh, I played two games this week, two very vampirical games this week. Oh, boy. Uh so I reviewed Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song, which is the new Vampire the Masquerade game. Uh, you can check out my review on Destructo.com. The, the short version is I gave it a seven. I feel like it is one of those games that you play and you're like, yep, this is seven. This is seven. All right. <laughs> it's a seven. All right. <laughs> seven out of ten. Solid seven. Um, it is. For those not aware, it's made by a company called Big Bad Wolf Studios. Uh, they made the council, which was a under the radar narrative RPG sort of thing. Imagine if you took a telltale game, but you put a lot of like tabletop role playing concepts into it. And that's kind of what you got with the council. And now with swan song, there's a lot of stuff where you are kind of walking around exploring. The setup is that uh, you're, you're in Boston and you're playing three different protagonists. Uh, Galeb, who is this, old blood ventru vampire who is kind of getting ready to move on and and he's trying to figure out what kind of legacy he's going to leave behind he was very unhappy with the first vampire that he embraced and it kind of went bad so now he's trying to raise up this new human to become his true child and and carry on his legacy as as he goes off to far lands uh and it does what old vampires do in that world to do that va- do old vampires go to the, like the on the white ships like in lord of the rings or something or does he have the black because they're vampires so they don't touch too much on this outside of the codexes um inside the game but there's there's kind of this concept in vampire the masquerade called the beckoning which is uh as you get older and older you start to feel like a pull towards like the place where vampires originated from and it's like kind of implied to be the pole of Cain, who is the original vampire uh, mm. and the idea that you want to be close to where your blood came from, sort of, uh, which is a really cool concept, I think. And and they do some cool stuff with that. That'd be really cool for me because part of my blood is from the Carpathian Mountains, mm-hmm. like my father, the Hungary, uh, Carpathian area. So I'd be right at home. <sighs> 
Um, the other two characters you play as one is like a very, what I would say, bog standard vampire, like beginner vampire. If you played bloodlines, especially, uh, a Torador, mm-hmm. uh, who's kind of on the outs with the Camarilla, uh, uh, named MM. Uh, she kind of finds herself torn between the Camarilla, which is like the aristocracy of vampires, like the system kind of, and the anarchs who are kind of the people who don't like the cam. They, they don't like the rules and the laws and they see it as, just another system trying to push everybody down. So she's kind of torn between those worlds, but that that's a very like bog standard approach to a vampire. And then you have Laisha, who's a Malkavian. Malkavians are the ones who hear voices, see premonitions, all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I I'm going through kind of what kind of vampire they are because they all play differently. And so as you're solving right. this mystery of somebody has attacked a party in Boston and killed a bunch of vampires uh, during a supposed reunification, uh, you are trying to, through their different sections and through their eyes, figure things out. So you walk around, you talk to people, you have kind of skill checks. So the same mm-hmm. way when we were playing D&D and they'd be like, oh, roll insight or something like that. Yeah. You can use your levels of education, deduction, logistics, um, your persuasion, your persistence your intimidation to try and get more information out of people sway them to your side uh change the direction the story is going to go and in some cases like it does end up determining who lives who dies uh whether someone i i had an interrogation scene go very bad and one of my characters had like facial scars for the rest of the game so uh it's a really it's a conceptually interesting game and i think it does some really cool stuff when it leans into that i constantly had pen and paper out for it and was like mm-hmm. solving puzzles that way there were times when i had to like create a cipher <laughs> and solve puzzles with the cipher and stuff uh it falls apart both on jank it is just of a course. janky game it is a double <laughs> a game if ever there was one yeah and also it tries to do like platforming and oh, stealth no. stop which like Why? picture Picture any telltale game and like, do you want to play a stealth section right now? Do you want to play a section where you have to do timing based pseudo platforming? No, none of that sounds good. Nobody liked that in the early aughts. Nobody likes it now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something for if you want like vampire in your life, but not really something if you're looking for bloodlines. I don't think it hit Mm. bloodlines for me. The other the other version of the vampire stuff I played was this game that is popping off right now called V Rising. Uh, it's like been top of steam for a couple days now. The, it's a Diablo style survival game is the best way of describing it. So you, it plays like a Diablo game where it's isometric right. and you're walking around and you're you have abilities and things like that. But then you're also crafting and building a domain and uh going and feeding on humans to get their blood essence and then returning to your base there's like a cool when daylight is out you you can't you will get burned by daylight and eventually be lit on fire and die from daylight uh so there there was a whole part where i was trying to like run between trees because shade kept me out of the sunlight so i was just (laughs) kind of like like dodging and zipping and diving marceline in adventure time and she has uh-huh, to carry the uh-huh. umbrella around. There's a whole episode where she's trying to reach for her umbrella Absolutely. she dropped it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one I really, really like. And it's still early on. It is an early access game. It's from a team called Stunlock that did... Um, 
I know some of the dotas that goes in here will remember this battle right and bloodline champions. Uh, so it's from people who understand kind of isometric combat and MOBAs and stuff like that, but it's very Diablo like in the way it plays. And then it's also like a survival game that has all that survival stuff in it. And that just makes my lizard brain go burr because <laughs> <laughs> I just like I'm like, oh, cool. I found some really good resources over here, putting them in my pocket. Going to make so many copper ingots with this that I'm, that I'm going to turn it into better better equipment to better mine with so I could get more copper ingots. Uh, yeah, that so sounds like some Final Fantasy XIV addiction right there. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm falling down the triple triad. I know we, we said we weren't going to talk too much about 14 on this pod. Specifically, we're not going to talk about 5.3, which I just finished. Uh, we can save that for Charlie in some time, but I am falling down the triple triad hole again, and it, it is the same lizard brain burr stuff. This triple triad goes across several final fantasy games i think that's valid to talk about especially because yes it is extremely we'll get into this in a minute it's in final fantasy 8 so it counts <laughs> i think that like it is probably the best mini game that final fantasy has barring i don't know i always liked in the, the mini games where you sit in a roller coaster and shoot targets because <laughs> it's easy and a child could do it well but let's I do talk like about triad. you because you you came on here you said the luca goers suck nadia what have you been playing Tell me about the Luca goers. Where do you think the Luca goers live, Eric? <laughs> Where God. do they go? Where do they come Where from? Where Luca? do they go? <laughs> Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from, Luca? Whatever. Yeah, I am playing Final Fantasy X for our. Um, is it a, are we doing a pantheon? Pantheon. pantheon. Yeah, so it's for our yeah, pantheon. Yeah. And uh, mostly enjoying it. But then I kind of hit a wall where it's like, hey, here comes Blitzball and a whole menu of stuff to read just like gets shoved in my face. And it's like, you know, that Johnny Silverhand, I ain't reading this, but I'm happy for you or, or sad that all happened. That was me. <laughs> so, of course, I don't know. I go into Blitzball and have no idea how to play it. And uh, I lost pretty badly, <laughs> like two to zero. And uh does Titus always walk off the stage in shame whenever you really screw up half t- by halftime? So that is that is scripted, and that is part of the strat to winning is you got to score while Titus is on your team because I love Waka, but Waka is not the blitzball player he used to be. And <laughs> Waka's so his, old, man. His shot sucks compares to the jack shot if you've got the jack shot. Oh, I don't uh, have the jack shot because I think I tried to do that and I screwed that up too. Uh, there is... There is a way to I, I mean, there you can win. It helps a lot if you have the jack shot, but I have won with and with with and without the jack shot before. And I've lost with and without mm-hmm. the jack shot before. A lot of it just comes down to like. Scoring once and playing keep away, essentially. Yeah, I, I heard that if you go behind the net or something, the, EI, the AI won't have any idea what to do with you and they'll just leave you there till time runs mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Well, folks, yeah, Titus is behind the net again. I guess we'll all just sit here on our hands. I'm not sure if that works in the PS4 version, but mm-hmm. I know like original PS2 version, that was the strat was <laughs> like <laughs> jack shot and then hide behind the net. <laughs> what an exciting game. This is all the people of Spira have to look forward to. This is all they have for entertainment. <laughs> Hiding behind the net. Our towns are being ravaged by sin and we live on nothing and... <laughs> The church takes everything from us and then doesn't let us use the machines because they say they're sinful. But at least we get to watch a bunch of bozos swim behind <laughs> a net for five minutes every year. 
every year. <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait to go to the behind the net game this week. That's the part that gets me is like the Luca goers clearly have an advantage because they're the only people that have a legitimate stadium to practice in. Yeah. And like, the Killica Beasts don't have anywhere to practice. The Besaid Oryx just trade on the beach. Like you can train your body all you want, but the Luca goers are going to have an intrinsic knowledge of playing the sport that nobody else has. And you're right. That's not fair. No wonder what I'm saying is they're the Patriots of Blitzball <laughs> <laughs> and you have to beat them to give them their due comeuppance. I guess that even I don't know anything about football and even I know everybody hates the Patriots. Yes, so yeah, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Uh, but, but yeah, how else are you liking Final Fantasy 10 outside of the underwater soccer bash? <laughs> Under, underwater. Someone called it like underwater Captain Subaka or something like that. <laughs> Mostly good. I am having a little bit of confusion though over whether or not weapons and armor are supposed to actually give me boosted stats or if that's all up to the grid system. So the grid, the sphere grid is the primary sphere way grid. that you're going to get your stats increased. So leveling and grinding does help. I'm not saying it's necessary, but you definitely, I would say where you're at, you don't need to start running from random battles yet. That's that's way later. Like play them mm. now so you can run from them later cuz also the ones you're in right now are pretty straightforward. They're still kind of up through Luca. They they're still in the place of okay, here is a magic gel that's colored blue, a hawk and a yeah. wolf. How do you think you should beat this? And you're like, <laughs> well, I put in Lulu and I zap that thing with thunder because it's made of water and then Waka hits the bird with a soccer ball because birds are weak to soccer <laughs> and, and Titus can hit the wolf because Titus hates wolves and wants <laughs> or, or to murder like, them or remind him of his father and the game's like good job here's four sphere grid levels for everybody and you're like yeah and then later on it's like hey here's a monster that can wipe your party in three turns and you're like I'm good. Can I just keep walking? <laughs> and that's when you that's when you want to start running from fights. Uh, yeah, I already noticed there's been a bit of an uptick because I got out of the uh, I left the stadium in shame and now I'm on the on mm -hmm. the uh, mm -hmm. road with Auron, who's amazing. And so I noticed there's an enemy there called a dual horn who was completely yes. massacring yeah. me. And I the sensor uh, item let me or, uh, you know, sensor uh, trait. Mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm. put on weapon that is on weapons and armor let me realize that okay you have to use darkness like waka has a dark attack and yep, that yep, causes you blind it to, him. Yep. to miss most of the time not most all of the, the time, time not all the time but otherwise you're looking at 400 hit, uh, hit points of damage and i'm like that's a bit brutal i don't think i'm under level i think this is just the way the game is it's so one thing that i actually really like about final fantasy 10 and it's funny because the chat was also talking about this um i think because giant bomb on their podcast talked about it this week and I actually listened to that the other day while I was taking a walk. Final Fantasy X is a game that surprisingly gets really into the status stuff early, like buffs and debuffs. Yeah. Uh, like Orin, Orin's whole moveset is pretty much based around buffing attacks or, or like reducing the enemy's either ability to mitigate damage or do damage. And so right. like armor break and power break are very important early game skills. Um <laughs> They called it Kingdom Hearts one, which I appreciate. Abby, your your campaign against Final Fantasy X. More, <laughs> more power to you. <laughs> um, 
but the uh, w- what I will say is that it is definitely a game where you want to be paying attention to that stuff. So yeah, Waka being able to blind is very important. Uh, sphere grid levels are definitely good for getting stats up. Uh, I will also say that like, yes, weapons will give you stats early on. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, I think you should have brotherhood because that's just given to you as part of the uh, story is the one that Waka gives Titus. That yeah, one's pretty so. good for a large portion of the game and will stay good for a large portion of the game. Uh, but other other ones will just give you either boosts like extra strength, extra health, extra defense, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or they'll give you extra handy things like, oh, here's, you know, sensor is a good one. Stone touch, uh, poison good. touch, that sort of thing. Being able to inflict status effects with uh, normal attacks is very useful. Um, yeah, all Lulu's, of it's very good. Lulu's pretty, You're, pretty handy. Lulu, Lulu is really good early game. I feel like she falls off by the time you're in like Mount Gagazette, like Lulu stops being the absolute boss killer, <laughs> but make sure you get bio. That's all I'm going to say is bio like, make sure you Final get Fantasy bio. Is a good bet. It's always a good bet. I was surprised by the number of bosses in the, in that game specifically that I was allowed to use poison on considering like. I feel nowadays when people design bosses, they try to design without poison in mind. They just say like, oh, no, you can't poison them. That'd be too good. And Final Fantasy is like, nah, you can poison them. But the bosses are going to be real messed up. So you're going to want to poison them because you're going to want them to take damage as often as possible. So that's a very uh, Dragon Quest sort of game design school right there, because buffs and debuffs in Final Fantasy generally are not that good for bosses. Even Dark, which is always kind of wishy-washy with most Final Fantasy games, in Final Fantasy X, it's already proven its worth several times over, as I just said. But mm-hmm. yeah, I usually don't waste my time with stuff like Poison on bosses in Final Fantasy, so it's good to know that it's actually really important this time around. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's Final Fantasy X. Are you liking, are you liking the game? Otherwise, how's the story holding up? You're kinda, you just had some big story hits with, with Luca and all that. So how are you liking the story so far? I'm not sure how I feel about uh, what's his name, Titus. Like he's, uh, I kind of like him. He's a I like, brat. He's a brat. <laughs> he's a brat, and he wears stupid clothes. I have to admit it, right, right mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. and right now. I just love. I said on Twitter how Jack is basically um, the daddy drank skit from Kids in the Hall. Hey, son, how many blitz balls did you catch today? Zero. Oh, how many did you catch yesterday? Zero. I don't know if you're into kids. If you remember that from Kids in the Hall, but no, it, he's, but he's like, very much <laughs> that kind that- of dad. <laughs> That scene when Titus is about to like he's having the dream sequence when he's about to leave and it's literally Jekt just showing up and be like, ha, you wouldn't know how to please a woman if it fell on top of you. Maidenless. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he's an asshole. (laughs) Like, like, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. All cowards. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do feel kind of bad for Titus, though. He's stupid, but I can understand why. If you have a dad like that, you kind of grow grow up a little bit screwed up. So he's all right. It's funny because I think one of the main themes of Final Fantasy X is like expectations and and like sins of the father, but also like the expectations that a parent places on a child and then them trying to live their own life free of their parents influence because that's a major part of Yuna's story as well. And her dealing with being Lord Braska's daughter yeah. and all that. Uh, there are a lot of expectations placed on her to, to be who she's supposed to be. 
And you get hints of that. I just think that Titus's daddy issues are so, so blatant and frequently brought up that it's just like one part's really loud screaming over here like, I have problems with my father. <laughs> and then Yuna's over here like, I, I've got some too. <laughs> I like Yuna a lot. She has like Yuna's great. She has like an innocence around her that's very endearing. And you can understand why she has it. It makes it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But she tries her best. I like her. Uh, does the Ronso dude ever talk or does he always just know? Like, Kimari? Quiet. He uh, should have talked by this point. He hit me because I tried to go into, I don't know, how to follow uh, Yuna somewhere. He didn't like it. So he slugged me. They do call attention to the first time he talks. But yes, he does talk. Okay. Um, yeah. Um. Oh, he had Yuna, like a bar fight with a couple of his yeah. not buddies, I'm guessing, but yeah. Yeah, his B-Ron and Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> Kimari, small Ronsel. Kimari, have no horn. <laughs> Kimari, walk by door for him, not even bump into it. His horn, not even there. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was tall, but it turns out, no, he's a runt. Yeah, no, I love, I love B-Ron and Yankee. I love so many of the characters in Final Fantasy X. It's such like a fun world. It is very different tonally to Final Fantasy XII, which I'm planning to like get back to mm. pretty soon here. It's it's so weird, the tone difference between the two, because twelve is like, it's East, you know, and there's like a very yeah. grim tone and all that. But like 10, despite the fact that there are, you know, horrors happening around every corner and like constant massacres and stuff. It's also like a fun, vibrant world. Every area is very distinct. I feel um, you, you really get a, a different kind of vibe every time you go to a new island and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Titus is very shonen. He's very, very shonen. God, yeah, he is. He is a shonen protagonist if there's ever been one. But it's definitely one of those Final Fantasy games where the surrounding cast is much stronger than the main cast, at least. I mean, Final Fantasy 12, there's another example for you. It feels like Final Fantasy 12, they were starting to develop a Titus and then they kind of they kick him to the side in favor yeah. of Balthier and Fran, which is fine. That's totally fine. But you can kind of see where they were going with that. I'm, I am interested to see how that story develops over time because it's been one of the. I, I'm not very far into it, but it is definitely very different tonally. Um, and so I'm interested to see how that pans out and, and especially the characters, because I feel like outside of Penelo you know, being substantial for being like a, a Vieira party member. Uh, I don't feel like I see a lot of the 12 characters brought up as fondly as characters like uh, like Yuna or like Terra or, or people like that. So, yeah, people I'm interested to see what's going on there and friend for the most yeah. part. And beyond oh, friend, that, yeah, Penelo is the, the other character. Um, yeah. Fran is is the bunny girl. Fran's um, the bunny girl. Everybody likes the yes. Vieiras. How do you feel about some random encounters? Sure. Let's do them. Now for a series of random encounters. Norman Reedus confirms there's a part two of Death Stranding in the works in some random interview. And I know it's barely RPG news, but I had to bring it up because it's hilarious. I think it's so hilarious because I don't think anybody on that cast knew what the hell was going on. And somehow (laughs) Kojima is just the the Pied Piper. Like, and everyone's just following behind him saying, yes, sir, we'll be in your movie, sir. I have no idea what's going on, but I just like you. I think that's great. (laughs) 
Saber Interactive is joining development of the KOTOR remake. Witcher 3 next-gen versions are currently set for Q4 2022. Thunderful, the makers of the SteamWorld games, have three unannounced games in the works, including a turn-based tactical RPG. Could there be a heist yes. 2? Question be. mark. Dang. In less exciting sequel news, Greedfall is getting a sequel. Eh. <laughs> and Final Fantasy XI is staying online for now. Uh, but our big story of the week is that there is Final Fantasy VII news on the way. This was during a live stream for the Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale. The first soldier, Tetsuya Nomura, said news would be coming next month, a.k.a. in June, regarding the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII. No specifics for now. And they did say regarding the 25th anniversary. But mm. first off, it's probably... What what do you think, Nadia? Is it about time we start hearing about part two, or do you think this is something else? This is going to be maybe Final Fan- a compilation of Final Fantasy VII Part Two, Electric Boogaloo. No, I think <laughs> I think we're going to hear something about uh, about Part Two at Summer Games Mess. It's got to be good for something. Yeah, so that's that's kind of my thought process. Is that in a vacuum, I would set my expectations low. And to be clear, my expectations are still pretty low. Uh, it's I, I've learned over the years, don't get hopes up. <laughs> we set our expectations pretty high last year, and we all came back with 30 minutes of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Which isn't a bad game, but it did not endure anyone to it. But the thing that, that has me interested is that Yoshida, uh, Naoki Yoshida had previously said that Final Fantasy 16 is going to have a trailer coming soon as well. Mm. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. June is kind of lining up <laughs> as a potentially big month for Square Enix. The big question here is where are the pressers at? Because we've had a few more presser announcements right now. We've got June 9th is the summer game fest live kickoff plus day of the devs over the June 10th and 11th uh, days. We've got some kind of scattered ones. I believe guerrilla collective wholesome games direct uh, the future game show. And then the PC gaming show is on June 12th alongside the Xbox and Bethesda show. But we still, as of this recording, have not heard anything from Sony or Square Enix as far as their plans, which is a bit of a question mark. Uh, And you got to wonder, you know, are the plans for June? Are they just going to show up at a different show? Are they something substantial? Is this something that's just going to come out amid the noise? I think there's a lot of question marks around what Square Enix is doing going into June. I wonder if uh, Keeley's still going on to them at like bended hand and he, please, please make debut announcements at the summer games fest, please. Yeah. And, and like, it would be exciting to get a confirmation, but I also feel when I was looking back at it, part of me was like, Oh, finally we get to hear about part two, but part one was in 2020 and integrate was in 2021. So part of me is like, this is probably not going to be anything substantial, even if it is related to part two. No, it's two. going to be a, a teaser. If we get gameplay, I'll be surprised. But it's, I, I feel like we're oh, definitely going to get a teaser. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's. It, I feel like the very existence of Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One already feels like an indication. The, the Norman Reedus thing is interesting to me because I saw some discussion online about it being that actors are very much like, 
well, yeah, we we made a movie and it was successful. We're making a second movie. It's not that big of a deal. But around games specifically, the confirmation that a sequel is happening is a very big deal. Yeah, it's usually tied into marketing things. It's part of a big presser. They make a big event of it. And so even though I feel like there is an assumption that Final Fantasy Remake 7 Part 2 is in development somewhere, there's still this weird pins and needles thing of when are we going to get it for sure? When's the the, mm-hmm. the check mark going to get stamped next to it? And, and I don't know. I don't know. And even if it does happen, you know, it, it would be exciting in the moment, but it would feel like confirmation of something that we already know is probably going to happen, you know? Yeah, but there's so many question marks around Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Like, will right. it be open world? Will it be more on rails than mm-hmm. the first one was? Because I've heard both ways. So I... I feel has, like I feel like we'll know even just by looking at a teaser, or I could at least tell because I'm a, I'm a Final Fantasy VII nut, where mm-hmm. things are and where you're going. So I'll be able to discern a lot, a sad amount of information from like a tiny like 10 second trailer. In fact, I did that back in US Gamer with the uh, with the first ones. Uh, the first trailers came out. I just kind of really disassembled those things. I really mm-hmm. just laid them out and dissected them. We were we were good at that at US Gamer. We I was thinking about that. that today because I went back to look at because I was sitting here and I was like, I feel like we've heard things about Death Stranding Part Two already. And I went back and I found articles from me years ago when I was on the Death Stranding beat. And I was like, here's there Kojima's back at work and here's a bunch of concept art that people have zoomed in on and found bridges logos on and stuff. So Death Stranding Part Two is probably in the works. And I was like, dang. We were on top of it there. We were good. We were on top of it. I wish Google agreed with us on that one. Look, Google sucks. So <laughs> Google sucks so, like the, the uh, blood god stance. <laughs> like the Luca goers. Yeah, the, the Google, the Google goers. goers. Uh, yeah, so I think either way, I am very excited for June. I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. We still haven't heard from a lot of the big players. So places where you you could expect to see Square Enix news popping up. I think anything involving part two and 16 is going to be around either a Sony thing or a separate Square Enix slash Final Fantasy thing. Yeah. Whereas anything regarding their other plans, maybe Nintendo Direct is possible. We still haven't heard from Nintendo whether they have June plans or not. They did just have an Indie World showcase, but history has shown that they kind of move that stuff around and and indie worlds tend to not preclude directs. So all of it is to say there's just a lot, a lot moving around. And I think the next couple of weeks, we're going to get some interesting confirmations in terms of who's going to have things to talk about. And maybe that'll give us a better idea of whether the seven news is something to get excited about or whether it's like, I don't know, clouds in Fortnite now or something. (laughs) (laughs) Is Cloud in Fortnite yet? Cloud's not in Fortnite no, yet. No, I'm surprised. I mean, it's going to happen, but... I was going to say, I remember when Final Fantasy XV wasn't everything. They put in... Or was Half-Life mm, in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy or, or Final Fantasy in Half-Life? I don't remember, but I just remember, like, it just someone at Square must have been like, okay, you want the G-Man? Now he's an anime, like, bozo or, or, or something like that. Like, someone must have been like, I quit this dog shit company. I can't stand this anymore. I mean, Final Fantasy XV was kind of the story of random product tie-ins i was thinking about this again the other day because final fantasy 15 was the game that had the cup noodle quest cup noodle coleman like name it yeah it's uh <laughs> ruka in the chat says uh jesse is revealed to be alive and you can only save one jesse or Aerith in part two. Oh no oh that would be so that's cruel too that's exactly we, the kind of thing they do we gotta kill the dementors again so we can save both <laughs> 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 whatever everybody takes. lives just this once everybody lives <laughs> You get your Dragon Ball wish that one time. 
<laughs> That's cool. Do it for the news this week. But now we are going to head into a special pre-recorded segment of Nadia, myself, and Kat doing a post-mortem of the top 25 RPG rankings intergrade remix retro arcade fusion. So stand by. We'll see you on the other side. And we are back with the top 25 intergrade post-mortem. We are going back over the top 25. And while it's just been myself, Eric, uh, and Nadia here for most of this episode, we knew that we could not go back over the top 25 without the one the only Cat Bailey here. Cat reporting in from the high seas. How, how's the weather out there? Ka, ka. That's, that's my parrot that you hear on my shoulder right now. <laughs> it's more of a crow. A parrot's more Caw. like <laughs> Polly has takes on top twenty-five RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, this is this is a segment for us to be able to go back through, and I guess kind of this is not a mea culpa by any you know. We we stand by this list and we'll defend it to our to our dying days, but. Uh, we, we did, you know, we got feedback as anyone gets when, when you put out a list made by, by human beings, uh, in, in a democracy, might I remind you all, <laughs> or at least a republic. But <laughs> this wasn't a democracy. Yeah, <laughs> we I offered mean, look. input, but in the end we chose. Yeah. So it's like a True. republic. We made a republic of RPG, you know, yeah. and, and much like the Star Wars Republic, it will stand strong and never fall to the whims of a single tyrant. But uh, yeah, we, we solicited feedback from y'all to hear uh, what specifically y'all y'all had to say about the the top 25. And, and I will give it credit. Uh, on the whole, responses have been positive been happy to hear from everybody i loved reading through all the discussion everybody's had on on the discord about it it's been really cool uh and if you've had bad discussion well uh you know boo bad on you stop that (laughs) uh i also really like the use of spoiler text in the channel because it made our whole discord look like it was being redacted by the fbi and that was great (laughs) (laughs) it looked like something out of area 52 it was great I, I mean, do we just want to start at the top and go down and just kind of go go beat by beat what people kind of gave us as as postmortem discussion and feedback on on the list? I mean, well, I think uh, a good place to start maybe is to be like, it's been a week. We put that list together on the fly. How are we feeling a week later about our list of the top 25 RPGs of all time? Because let me tell you, I have some takes. I still think it's a good list. I mean, it's never oh, going to yeah. be perfect. I think it's a good list too. I, 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 as with any list, there's never been a list I've made, and I've made many a list in my life. There's never been a time where I wouldn't like nudge one up or down or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was I was born and molded by the fires of the MySpace top eight. You know, so I'm I'm accustomed to the fickleness of ranking and uh, you only the adopted the ranking, Eric. I was born into it molded by it <laughs> uh and i think yeah there are definitely like games in i think especially as we were listing out kind of like the the very high high mid i thought that was a good system by the way like the high mid low system that we had yeah. i think 
within those brackets, we nailed it. And there are definitely ones within each of those brackets. I probably would have nudged up and down. And then one game I would have ejected out of the top 25 entirely. But, <laughs> uh, you know, besides that. Skyrim, I don't even understand you. I'm just saying, listen to the people. We could have had an SMT, but Skyrim took its place. That's the narrative I'm spinning in this podcast. I can't really picture a uh, just a, a a world where Skyrim doesn't get that kind of acknowledgement. Like I don't, I love SMT, but I don't know. It's it's a happier world. Let me tell you about it. We got flying cars. We run on green energy. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I I heard some people have some beef with my number one choice. For, and it, I was the one who drove it. Uh, y'all just kind of acquiesced, and I was kind of surprised. But no, I was I was there with you. Yeah, I was yeah, there was with you on Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, Fallout yeah. New Vegas number one. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say there was pushback, but there was a lot of surprise um, over Fallout New Vegas as the number one choice. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because our Discord is full of JRPG stands, and I love all of you. I truly do. I think part of it, too, is that maybe some people haven't forgotten how New Vegas really had that reputation of being a piece of jank. Yeah. I yeah. think that if you haven't really like sat down and thought about it very deeply, maybe Fallout... <laughs> wow, that sounds so passive-aggressive. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I'm very tired. I was up until two in the morning last night fighting Godfrey and failing. So that's yeah. where my brain is right now. Uh, so I guess I'm going to be like more cat unfiltered at mm-hmm, the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I like it. So I think that on the face of it, that just sounds a little bit better. Fallout New Vegas superficially seems like okay, it's Fallout, but obsidian flavored why does this game in particular deserve to be the number one rpg of all time and if you just look at it you can see that fallout new vegas is still it's become it has grown in esteem over time and it's aged like fine wine people mm-hmm. seem to just grow in their appreciation of fallout new vegas over the years and there's a reason for that some of it is the modding community, which is amazing. Some of it is the introduction of the hardcore mode, which was a great innovation by Obsidian. And some, and a lot of it is the storytelling, which is just the quintessential example of great RPG narrative design. And, you know, top to bottom, Fallout New Vegas is just an exquisitely well-made RPG with great DLC, and also, as I already mentioned, it's a wonderful send-off to Black Isle Studios. It has some of the most memorable... It, it connects the Bethesda RPGs, the Bethesda Fallouts, with the OG Fallouts on PC in a way that I think is really important. And it the, the factions, not just Caesar's Legion and the NCR, but all the factions dotted throughout the Mojave make it feel like such a lived in and vibrant and fascinating world. (laughs) And besides that, the fact that Bethesda is still salty about Obsidian getting all the credit for Fallout New Vegas after all these years, (laughs) at a minimum, warrants a top five pick. But uh, I'll admit I was going for kind of an unconventional pick in putting Fallout New Vegas at number one. I was kind of like, I want to sit here and I want to reevaluate. And I was like, what 
what RPG could I put at number one? I mean, I could keep Chrono Trigger there. I think that's a very fair pick, but I think we need to sit down and evaluate Fallout New Vegas and Fallout New Vegas, um, if anything, just keeps getting more and more appreciated as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, like we we've talked about this off air on the podcast a few times since we ranked and the more I've thought about it, the more I felt pretty sure in that pick in that I look at what RPGs do nowadays, especially open world RPGs that have largely adopted the whatever you want to call it, the Bethesda style, the uh, Fallout slash uh, Elder Scrolls style of we have this open world you have a bunch of different factions. You're kind of working for various factions. I mean, it's it's a very MMO style in a way uh, where you are kind of this one major player in the middle of a giant world. But I think what Fallout New Vegas really does excel in is making that world feel lived in and, and not just lived in by having these interesting characters there, but having them interact in realistic and interesting ways, having them pose interesting questions. There's not really a lot of like um what what i would call uh like twirling mustache villainry like yeah like caesar's legion is horrific but they very much have a reason for what they're doing and if you are going to oppose it like i said in the podcast you've got to the game asks you why the game is like why do you your character not agree with this stance i love the way it uses stats things like barter and science and medicine as actual dialogue stat checks that felt like a uh, um, somewhere a mid- midway point between Planescape and Disco Elysium, I think that way that your skills don't just play into active abilities, but they play into the way that your character does things in the world. I think even playing D&D on the stream helped me appreciate the way that Fallout does that more because in D&D, it's not just, oh, well, my strength is how hard I can swing a sword, right? Yeah. No, your strength is also how well do you open a door? How well do you move a boulder? Sometimes it's how intimidating are you? How physically present are you at any given time? And how big are you or how small are you? Like there's, I feel like New Vegas really captures that spirit of role playing. And also, they're just little tiny things that keep popping up again. I love the quest design of that game, but also uh, one like thing I'm not wild about in the way that Bethesda often does fallout is how it portrays super mutants. I think super mutants are really cool. And every time they're portrayed as just dumb brutes, I think that's a waste and fallout one and two did not do that very often. They had a lot of characters that were like mutants and ghouls that were not just these caricatures. I think fallout new Vegas does an incredible job of making all of those characters feel very, uh, real feel very understandable. And, uh, and they have some really cool quest lines dealing with super mutants and ghouls, especially which makes it feel like a fallout world and not just, post-apocalypse simulator or whatever it feels very fallout in those moments so it it creates an identity i guess is what i take away from it i think fallout 3 and fallout 4 are perfectly fine open world rpgs if you want to play an open world rpg there's worse you can do than fallout 3 and fallout 4 but what puts new vegas consistently ahead for me is that new vegas does its thing and it does not feel like it's imitating or replicating it it is doing its own thing it has a very strong identity behind what it does i think that's what makes an rpg really sing for me and i think if you look through the top 25 again and again that's what i kept coming back to is what rpgs really have distinct identities not just uh they're good 
but they're good in a way that other people have not really been able to capture at twice. Sometimes even the same studio cannot capture twice. All good points. And I agree with all of them. It's a great argument, even though I'm not a new, I'm not like a fallout person. I can really appreciate where you're coming from, especially in the context of today and how much those very things you mentioned mean a whole lot to, to RPGs in the here and the now. And even if they didn't always execute it with incredible polish, the, they were definitely pioneering. Yeah, the, the patches are definitely worth mentioning. I think in the same way that we talk about bloodlines and we talk about how important the patches are to making that thing realize its full potential. Um, and in some ways, I can understand frustration with saying like, oh, well, it got fan patched afterwards. But I think that is part of the strength of any uh, CRPG, uh, you know, PC RPG in general, is that like the modding is part of the strength. Like if you talked about Neverwinter Nights, you wouldn't be able to talk about Neverwinter Nights without talking about the mod scene, without talking about the creation scene. So like that just comes part and parcel with every single one of the CRPGs we talk about. It's like Tim Rogers talking about Cyberpunk 2077 saying it feels churlish to even mention the bugs in this game because they're going to get fixed. And guess what? I mean, they did not all well, of them. Did they? Uh, in 2077's <laughs> case. <laughs> did I sleep? <laughs> I mean, compared to uh, compared to where he was when he reviewed Cyberpunk yes, versus yeah. where it is now. Okay, that's fair. It is wildly improved. Mm-hmm. I just so, remember the time they put in those, that really big, huge patch and Vinny from Vine Sauce went on to play and all the cars exploded as soon as he loaded up the game. So Actually, yeah. uh, I, find, I find our, obs- our collective obsession with bugs and glitches and RPGs and video games actually obnoxious for the most part. Yes, but the cars all blew up. I, I think once. So I think there is a meaningful distinction between like whether I myself, as you will hear on this podcast prior to this segment, coming off a game that I liked but was ultimately like disappointed by the level of jank and and messiness that was in it. Uh, they can be they can be a stopper. They can be a bump on the road. It just depends on how good that road is around it. Yeah. And also like are again, games are living things. Now it's really hard to judge a game in its launch state. We, this would then turn into a thing about reviews and all that, but it is really hard to judge any video game by its launch state. Even, uh, when we review games, we often get emails that are like, oh, there will be a day one patch. Don't worry. You know, there will be yeah. fixes in the day one patch. And uh, in that sense, I'm less willing to hear stuff. I'm less willing to hear like, oh, don't worry, I'll get fixed later when a game launches because you don't know that. But years down the line, when we've had time to assess and had time to see what not just the studio, but the fans can do then we can see how that changes. I think in, in the case of Fallout New Vegas, that that mm. quote from from Tim did come true that like right. over time it did get a time capsule. Yes, yes. And it's true. It is a time capsule. Just like Witcher 3, pretty busted when it came out actually. Yeah, yeah had some launch problems. Nobody yeah. remembers that anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In any case, while I do a yes, cl- Pointing out bugs is relevant, but I'm much more interested in how does it accomplish its world building? How does it accomplish mm-hmm. its systems? How does it accomplish its narrative? And 
Cyberpunk does not have good gameplay systems, actually. No, it does and, not. Uh, Fallout New Vegas is pretty good, actually. It's pretty darn good. I I had a moment when I was playing 2077 the other night for Normandy, and I remember telling Ken I had a moment where I wanted to hit a button to pull Vats up, and that that's when I realized that somehow Fallout has better shooting than Cyberpunk. <laughs> Ouch. That's when you know you screwed it up. Yeah, Cyberpunk uh, is not great. But let's talk about other games on this list that yes. are not Fallout New Vegas. I'm wondering, do you have a regret from this list? Because I have one, and I mm, want to hear mm-hmm. what yours is. I have a big one that I can start us off with, and I have a feeling it might be all of our collective regrets on this, mm. is that there's no proper Shin Megami Tensei game. Yeah, yeah sure. I think that was the big one when we walked, and we even said this in the podcast. We were like, wow, no Shin Megami Tensei. And I think it's one of those things where you sleep on it. Yeah. And the next morning you wake up and you go, actually, we should probably uh, put a Shin Megami Tensei this on what this I was list saying instead about of Skyrim, another Final you know. Fantasy. I still don't regret Skyrim. No, I'm sorry. No, no, keep the keep the Final Fantasy on there. Get Skyrim out of there. No, we, we <laughs> look, I'd rather have Skyrim on there than SMT3 Nocturne. Um, I like SMT3 Nocturne, but so much of that game is legacy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Like we talk about that game almost purely in terms of legacy, in terms of the way that it does its battle system and everything. But I I won't deny, of course that it is a beautiful macabre game with a distinct Mm. atmosphere and fascinating uh, villains. I still kind of prefer it to, I I prefer the vibe of SMT3 to SMT5. SMT5 and SMT3 Mm. kind of have Mm -hmm. a a similar thing going on there. But also I think that Nocturne um, can be pretty obnoxious when you get into the actual dungeon crawling. And there are people who will say, ah, oh, but that's classic dungeon crawling and everything. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true, yes. It uh, is absolutely classic dungeon crawling, and we should have had an SMT on there for sure. But Nocturne, so I don't know. We should I feel have like, put Strange Journey on there. I yeah, feel that's like what Strange I was going to say. Was <laughs> strange Journey choice. is where I probably would have gone. Because I, I, I really liked Strange Journey a lot. And I, I liked SMT3, of course, and I can appreciate what it is and what it means, but it's... Something about Strange Journey felt so much more in, like intriguing and uh, just immersive. That would have been stands a great alone pick, really, really well. Um, yeah, it is a good standalone. The, as for like the five Final Fantasies on the list, I mean, you look yeah. at them, all five of them. They're giants of their individual genres, and they all That's hold the up really well. Yeah, they do. Like, I can't sit here and be like, "Oh, well, we shouldn't have Final Fantasy four, and we shouldn't have Final Fantasy six because they're too." Two very different kinds of games. or two for, They have rather a different meaning. Oddly enough, if I was going to oust one of the Final Fantasies, I would probably start looking at Final Fantasy VII just because I really do think that it still floats on due to legacy and, and largely that. And this is coming from someone who was saying, like, uh, maybe we should have Final Fantasy VII on the list. But it's, I, I don't know, it, it's one of those problem childs where you're always yeah. going to be like, it is so hard to see seven remake was an entire game about how do you look at final fantasy seven without considering its legacy, without thinking about how huge this game is to the gaming world at large. It's nigh impossible. So I think you can reasonably take seven off, but also I replayed seven not too long ago. And in my opinion, it does actually hold up. It is still, I have gone very back enjoyable. to seven. 
several mm-hmm. times and I always enjoy myself and I play like quite a, a, a while through like I don't just be like oh first few hours I'm done just play Megar and get out yeah no Compared definitely to not seven I'm... remake which feels bloated seven surprisingly kind of cooks I'm actually surprised and oh my god I love the Shinra building in that <laughs> building so classic I think the Midgar the opening hours in Midgar are just this perfect little beautiful RPG gem from start to finish, it is wonderful. I didn't used to like the everything that was happening with uh, cloud cross-dressing and everything. Love it now. It's amazing. <laughs> I think the cinematography in 7 by itself is an industry like standard that was set. And everyone kind of strove to meet for a very, very long time. And you still go back to 7 and you just notice how much care was put in those, those camera angles and everything. If I could put one game, or if th- there's another series that I wish had been able to make it, maybe more so even than SMT, and that's Fire Emblem. And yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a regret of mine. It was hard for me to throw in three houses because, again, like I think that the second half of that game in the school, the school part just becomes a lot worse to me. And also the actual maps the actual tactical combat I feel to be a bit of a drag. And I think that one, much like uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, it's one of those games that I feel like can be refined and turned into something mm. truly amazing with a Fire Emblem Three Houses too. But as it stands, Fire Emblem Three Houses was super carried, in my opinion, by um, the actual characters and the interactions with it. Like We cared about the characters in the cast, and the story and how everything came together. And it's <clears throat> one of the best RPGs on the Nintendo Switch. But if I were to pick a Fire Emblem to put on this list, it would either be a Genealogy of the Holy War or uh, Blaze, uh, by, sorry, Blazing, Blazing Blade, Blade. Yeah. the one that came out on the original GBA, because both of them are amazing, maybe in their own rights, even if they're lesser known to American audiences. Yeah, I think sure. that's I think that's a case where we really just need genealogy to get a modern release in the West uh, because that's, I think a massive oversight and the three houses was kind of them making a spiritual successor in a way and, and trying to carry forwards. I mean, a lot of fire emblem, even awakening had a lot of genealogy, a holy war in it. uh, And it's, it was a way ahead of its time tactical RPG, but I will say the three houses credit, let, let me give it one more knock than you already gave it. I actually think the A plot of three houses up until the time skip is pretty weak. And then it only starts to yeah. get interesting once the your little school tr- children start murdering each other. Like that's that's <laughs> when the game royale that's when the, the story got really good to me because I was like, oh, we're suffering and we're here back at the the fields of Fodlin and we're at the place where we did the training only it's not training anymore. We're actually going to start murdering each other now. That and was pretty awesome. That that is a high in the Fire Emblem series for me. That is like maybe one of my favorite Fire Emblem moments ever is all of them reuniting there at that field to actually go to war. I got the single worst playthrough. The you single did. worst you route. Really you really did. did. You need to play houses, the Golden so Deer mad. route. You need to play the Golden Deer route. It's I did. so good. I, I did actually. I played through okay. it. Okay. But, um, um, but when I played through the Golden Deer route, I was like, wow. Oh my god, I got screwed by picking the route that I ended up going down. This is so much better. Yeah. Well, that's because Claude's best boy. You know, Claude's Claude simply is the, the best. best. 
actually I had to go with powerful. my girl. I mean, come on. Yeah. I understand. I, I understand. Aelgard's oh, oh, Aelgard's crazy. And Aelgard did nothing wrong. Aelgard, I actually, I think, is one of the more interesting Fire Emblem protagonists, uh, Deuteragonist, whatever you want to call it, of of the entire series. But I agree that, like, I think another one that I kind of wish I had nominated earlier in the nominations over some of my other ones uh, was, like, Blazing Blade probably should have gone on there. Uh, even Sacred Stones. I'm a big fan of Sacred Stones as I've been replaying it and just realizing how well it's held up and, and how good it is. Uh, but I would even Fire consider Emblem. Awakening if only to be that cat <laughs> sitting at the end of the table that's grinning at the two ladies who are yelling at the cat. <laughs> you would do it too. I would. Uh, I, there's something about Awakening that I think it's another case of the A plot is not nearly as interesting as the actual characters are to me and the interactions of the characters. Yeah. Because that's sure. all I think about in Fire Emblem games. So maybe the core problem with Fire Emblem is that it still has not nailed a good A plot since probably like Path of Radiance was like the last one I remember being really good. Um, but that that is a questionable one. I think another major point of controversy we should probably talk about uh is Final Fantasy fourteen? <laughs> Were people getting was, mad about fourteen? I didn't see anyone get mad about fourteen. Anybody getting mad about fourteen? Oh, there was there was some heat. There was some heat about fourteen. About um, it being so high. Well, it being so high, and then also it essentially like quote unquote taking the place of World of Warcraft uh, because we did remove World of Warcraft from the list. Uh, there there was a lot. It. I think there was a Goodbye, similar wow. narrative it's time around. For you to leave. Well, there's there's a similar narrative around tactics going on and tactics ogre coming off, you know. So, um, I think in the case of tactics ogre, about tactics ogre coming off, yeah, we did, we did. Uh, I think in the case of tactics ogre, that is a a lot of these games. It is relevancy, it is recency, it is ease of play, and tactics ogre is another one that I hope that over time is given the chance to really shine by Square Enix again, because it's another game that like, I think if it was more easy to play, more people would be talking about it. Uh, But there is something about the complete package of tactics that I really do love. And that even tactics ogre doesn't quite scratch the exact same itch as, as uh, Final Fantasy tactics. Well, we clearly need a tactics ogre remake. Let us speak it into existence. Clearly. Let's yeah, speak that, into existence. Tactics on the remake. That like copyright copy thing from Square Enix needs to come to fruition. Though I would rather oh, have an right. FFT remake just because, I mean, I think that Tactics Ogre on the PSP still holds up pretty well, assuming you have a Vita. Whereas yeah. FFT, you really do have to patch that thing to uh, make it more enjoyable, I think. I'm the reverse where I just want War of the Lions on Switch and then I want like a Tactics Ogre game to get the good love. We do. Because... We have it. It's called Triangle Strategy. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but even, yeah, uh, okay. That's that's another podcast for another day. When we do I the top 25 my, I want to hear my Tactics Ogre stands talk about whether they prefer Tactics Ogre or Triangle Strategy. I mean, Triangle Strategy is real darn good. That's one that I did not nominate on purpose because I was like, this is very, very recent. But it's yeah. one that I think if we did this again in three to five years, I would be seriously thinking about it. Well, we, re- we nominated Elden Ring and people didn't seem upset about it. Uh, I mean, it's look, pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty I didn't good nominate game. Elden Ring and I put up I put up the defense against Elden Ring. So I don't know. You know, I just I was there to make sure it didn't get the red carpet on. But Elden Ring 
I think Elden Ring was just an immediate sensation. There was like no yeah. stop in that train once it left the station. Nope. Still hasn't stopped. One of those few games that really did live up to the hype. It was pretty amazing. But yeah, yeah. Let's uh, I so I put out a call in the mailbag and asked our listeners, hey, what uh, what's your feedback? Uh, this is your opportunity to vent. And they did not hold back. Corvus Koss said, I think not having Fantasy Star 4 on the list was a major failure. And they also said that they feel this way about Lunar and Yakuza Like a Dragon too. And they said, Fantasy Star 4 was the crowning RPG achievement on the Genesis. It was the closing of the Algo saga. It broke new ground in terms of sci-fi settings and female characters within the genre. Um, And of course it had very nice manga art and everything. It took risks and did things which Final Fantasy would not do until four years or more after Fantasy Star Wars 4's 1993 release, some of which I detailed in my original and failed plea to maintain its position within the top 25 here. And also, seriously, five Final Fantasy games? Well, when you First put of it all, that I way, really Corvus feel. Kaw, I really feel like it's only three Final Fantasy games because Tactics and 14 are Final Fantasy games. Yeah, but they're like, they're like, I don't know. They're in the franchise. I don't know why they feel different to me. They just booted out seven. But would I boot out seven on behalf of Fantasy Star 4? That's harder to say. Um, Fantasy Star 4 was definitely a hard one to get rid of. But at the end of the day, I... When you look, when you have a list of the best, the absolute best, you have to, it has to come down to stupid little things. Like in my case, it was the fact that the inventory is a huge hassle to manage and the encounter rate is just really up in the sky, even for a turn-based RPG. It can be a frustrating game to play as much as, you know, it has its good qualities as well. It's just one of those games where... uh, Boy, it, it is hard a definition of a legacy game, isn't it? It kind of is, yeah. Boy, it, it really needed one of those M2 remakes, didn't it? It sure did. It yeah. sure did. I think it oh. would really elevate it in the way that it elevated the original fantasy. Oh, story. it would have. I think it would have been a much easier inclusion if M2 had managed to get around to doing that. And it's one of my big disappointments that they didn't do that. And 2, because 2, whatever you say about 4, 2 is... Uh, a huge pain in the ass to play and it really could have benefit from just even the smallest tweaks that's all it takes but not having those tweaks is what really drags it down but i I don't disagree that fantasy star is a very significant rpg series uh with a lot of history behind it reiko kadama and all of Mm -hmm. that um one of the i I believe the first rpg with a female protagonist uh, stuff like that that that's awesome you know like a female main hero Mm -hmm. main hero yeah yeah, that's awesome. I I totally agree. I would love to have representation for like every major, you know, uh, RPG franchise on this list. But I wasn't necessarily trying to like be like, and this is the Fire Emblem slot, and this is yeah. the SMT uh-huh. slot. Yeah. You know, I was trying to. Well, first of all, I didn't want to get caught up in legacy as much this time around. Um, I did. I want it to be a factor, but I didn't want it to be the only factor and i think that especially with rpgs which are a very old genre it's very easy to get super caught up in legacy and start being like yeah but betrayal of Karandor really deserves to be on here alongside wizardry 8 and you like you're right. gonna find stands for those games no doubt about it but could i say 
do I want to boot those games up now? Are people talking about those games in the year of our Lord 2022? I, I don't think so. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this this was a recurring theme for a lot of games that I think we probably nominated on just how much we enjoyed them at the time that we played them. Like I think The World Ends With You was another case like that for me, mm. where like it was a very time and place game for me. But I think almost in a way playing Neo The World Ends With You made me realize that like that series hit for me at a very specific point in my life. And The World Ends With You will always hold that spot in my heart. Always, always, always. I just also, I think when contextualizing it modern day and especially how you're going to play it modern day, it's not the same as it was back then. And uh, and even in the space between when you all first made the top 25 and now there have been a lot of good RPGs that came out. I think Disco Elysium breaking into the the top five and Final Fantasy 14 slingshotting onto the list despite being an MMO at the time you all made the list in the first point, both show that there's been a lot of development in RPGs, both existing and new in the time between. And that means that games that were previously on and previously good for that time are now having to compete with newer models. I and think that's in it. terms of Final Fantasy 14, last time we made the list, uh, since then we've had Shadowbringers and Endwalker and several major, not just story-related stuffs, but like... Uh, certain streamlining they did to ARR, for example, and adding flight. They did a lot to the game mechanics in that time as well. And I think that really helped elevate it. Wait, adding flight? Was flight not in the game when y'all made this list the first time? No, no, flight and ARR, a Realm Reborn. Oh, okay. <laughs> they added flight I was to like, map. good God, what was this game? <laughs> um, <laughs> Final but, walk a lot. But yeah, like I... As someone who is currently who is sitting here like I finished my work games, I can play 14 again. <laughs> uh, I would not have put that game on the list if I'd only played up through Stormblood. It was honestly right. playing through Shadowbringers is what pushed it not only onto the list for me, but high on the list for me. And that speaks to the power of updates that speaks to the power of what's been new and what's been innovating and and yeah it is fresher and it's a newer game and and you have to stack up a retro game that is done and over and and hands have been off that one for a long time but that's what you do when you do a top 25 you know i i think there is merit to discussing legacy but you don't want it to be the end-all be-all because then you're going to start missing the the forest for the trees in that case right. i think like a dragon which is one of the other ones that uh that corvus brought up was uh a case where we said like a dragon is phenomenal i think it's one of the better modern rpgs that you can play but it's not hitting the highs yet it it needs that second game it needs that refinement it, it needs that did extra. have the the corporation mini game which is which one is of the so better good. side quests i've ever played <laughs> Oh my god, hilarious. One of the funniest yeah, things I've ever played in an RPG. Yeah. But but even then, like the the job system I think was just underbaked at the time and needs some Very revisions so. and needs some innovations. I think the the whole like the battle system, the battle side of it just needs that extra oh, tuning, the battle needs system that has innovation. To be refined so much in that game. The the weird shuffling they do and and look, I love me a good Mario quick time event, but I turned them off halfway through that game because I was starting to get carpal tunnel from them. <laughs> like, uh, I think there's just a lot of things in that game that if and when they tune it up, it's going to make 
Yakuza serious RPG contender. And that's a really exciting thing to say, because I do love the Yakuza series. Yeah, so. same. But what a hero. Uh, what an yeah. amazing oh, hero. One of the Ichiban, best some RPG might heroes. Say, some might say one of the best RPG heroes of all time. You know, I love that. Great. What a Dragon Quest nerd he is, too. It's, it's great. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's the whole fun. <laughs> that's the fun of it. So many great Ichiban, uh, RPG references in that band. game. Oh, play, play Yakuza like a dragon if you haven't, yes, seriously. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast, you need to play it like a yeah, dragon. Yeah. Still a great RPG. Uh, Supermoop uh, praised us for putting Dragon Quest XI on Brownie the, points for Supermoop. On the list. Thank you, Supermoop. And they were wondering if there was any discourse that surprised us or otherwise caught our interest. Someone said Undertale wasn't an RPG, and I think that was the one that like sent me into space. Uh I like could maybe try to wrap my head around the argument that it's a bullet hell game first and RPG second, but I think it is so I, centered on its RPG gameplay. Isn't that, the whole point just a teardown of RPGs? Yeah. An RPG itself. Like yeah, I think near Automata missed the list for just that. Just because reason, it is deconstructing an RPG doesn't necessarily mean that it is an RPG. Well, what I know. mean is like you can play this game regularly and get experience points and all that fun stuff and level up and then you find out well it's only one way to play the game. The other way is to think outside of the box in terms of how RPGs are played and present themselves. So it's still definitely got those RPG elements. Like there's no And even Oh boy. Oh boy, we're doing the thing. In... <laughs> I I need to turn the uh the sign that says um 0 days since we last had the what is an RPG discourse. But uh our uh, our special guest Len, who is now an active member of the Discord, we love having you Yay. here. Len. Oh, um, yeah. She actually did a really good job of coming up with four criteria for being an RPG, and I think we should talk about this in episode four hundred at some point. But she said, "Okay, it yeah. has to have meaningful character progression for which mm-hmm. you gain experience from a variety of activities." Okay, mm-hmm. you do that, Undertale. It has to be some level have some level of character or party customization. Do you have uh, some level of character or party customization in Undertale? Yeah, like you, you, you equip have stuff. If that was yeah, you mean. have equipment and stuff. Um, and I would say, like, I would say that the choice to level up or not level up is in itself party building and character customization. But that's stretching, and that's really more covered by by point one. So you have equipment that that does play a somewhat significant role. So it needs to have a variety of lootable or craftable items. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Has a- uh-huh. And the emphasis in conflict resolution should be based on considerations other than pure player Twitch skill, such as creating an effective build, understanding party synergies, or exploiting enemy weaknesses, etc. That's the whole game, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a game about doing go. that. Sounds like Undertale's an RPG. I really like that criteria. That's a good criteria. Congratulations, Undertale. You made it. Good job, Len. Thank you for coming with that very wonderful, succinct That's a good list. That's for a, us. That's as really, good really as we good. have for a definition so far. Yeah, we're gonna have to codify that and steal it at some point. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll take it from Liana and give us our give ourselves credit. And start putting it on merch. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Ruka said that uh, they thought that I it was worth mentioning that I gave up on Valkyrie profile way too easily. And actually, I put out a little survey asking people to make their own lists, and it ended up not that many people uh, completed it because it's actually kind of a pain to make a top twenty five list. It turns out. But uh, Valkyrie Profile made that list quite a bit, which I found interesting. Man, I love Valkyrie Profile. It, it, people still care about it today. It 
is has a fascinating and wonderful structure and is really beautiful and um it does have a legacy in that it's the best triace game and it really defined triace in so many ways and surprisingly more than a few games have since tried to capture the magic of valkyrie profile and people will be like valkyrie yeah that game wants to be valkyrie profile we're getting a new valkyrie profile from the support studio behind ninjala for some reason finally (laughs) I've been asking for Lenneth yeah. is one of the best protagonists in RPG period. I love her to bits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Valkyrie Profile did have a case um to be on this list and I, I mean once again I I wouldn't I wouldn't be that upset about booting Final Fantasy 7 off this list and putting Valkyrie Profile on there, but god what a hipster pick uh, on my part of it. It would be that. a bit of a hipster pick. I'm just yeah. saying so Skyrim's so. right there. Skyrim's right there. <laughs> It's number 25. It's already on the wire. No. Uh, I do like Ruka's other question, though. Any notable regrets for games that didn't even get nominated? So not even games that were in the discussion did not make it in, but games we didn't even get around to nominating. Yeah, Blazing Ruka Sword. Actually, I wish Fire Emblem yeah, Blazing Sword had been nominated. Blazing Blade should have been on there. Uh, and I, I will say that, Ruka, you named one of the ones that I was thinking about, which was Front Mission. Uh, and I think that was genuinely a case maybe along with live alive uh where live alive did make it onto the nominations but not onto the list where an impending remake suddenly had me going well you know wait till we see what this looks like and then consider it where oddly we've talked a lot about how remakes can do a lot to refresh a game's image in our mind but also impending remakes can also do a little bit to make us oh wait till we see how it pans out you know get an idea of what it looks like yeah hence why i think dragon quest 3 we gave up on that pretty easily because i think we're all waiting for the hd remake yeah i agree also hmm. yeah there were there were a handful of games Uh, i think that we didn't have enough dungeon crawlers um under consideration Mm -hmm. Uh, and somebody brought that up Uh, i was just making fun of wizardry 8 for example but it is a notable part of the genre, and it got me like kind of churning the wheels churning in my head, going, okay, but like, what would be the dungeon crawler to put on there? And it's like, SMT Strange Journey. Um, I think a lot of CRPG maniacs would put, for example, um, what's that game called? Legend of Grimrock 2. Yeah, Grimrock, yeah. Huge, huge blind spot for me, and I apologize. Um, that's just uh, that's where you get to the point where you like you got three hosts and you're covering all of the bases as best you can. But sometimes like, I probably would have given it to one of the Etrian Odyssey games if we're talking mm-hmm. about a dungeon crawler. Maybe, like, maybe like, like Etrian Odyssey five. Yeah, five or four. Yeah, it's so well uh, done. I agree. Exactly. If, if I cannot be that impressed by dungeon crawlers and be like, wow, I'm in love with this, then I think it's something worth looking mm-hmm. at but strange journey uh redux would have been a perfectly fine selection too let me tell I you about dungeon encounters <laughs> i think dungeon crawlers can be really really good but also they're kind of a, a legacy genre like i think that when people do dungeon crawlers they're kind of looking for backward rather than forward and again mm. legend of grimrock 2 might be the exception to this rule for example but i think that Dungeon crawlers have evolved into Elden Ring. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a take. I I don't disagree with that take, to be honest with you. I I do think, as we were talking about, even in the podcast, that games like Nier Automata show that like RPGs have kind of evolved. And that's kind of like why I think Nier didn't make the list, is because 
I think Nier is a game that makes it onto your best game list, but doesn't win any of the genre categories because I don't think it's about it being ex- exemplary in a single genre, except for maybe story or music that is what makes it good. I think the way it combines everything, the way it does everything and RPGs have been evolving to be more than just the limits of what they used to be on. I feel like when we went back through the RPG quest, we saw a lot of that. These games that had so much ambition, but had to limit themselves to the systems available at the time. Well, now we've got the systems. They're expanding out in a lot of ways because RPG itself is a very wide definition. And so, yeah, dungeon crawlers have certainly evolved. And a lot of them do look backwards. I think there are some that look forwards. I think Dungeon Encounters is an interesting example. I think there's one that folks in the Discord talk about a lot called Undernauts is what it's called that I've had sitting on a wish list for ages now uh, that is on my like get around to games. But it is a genre where I'm waiting to see somebody just really take it and spin it in a way that we have not seen it before uh, and, and really make a mark with it. Uh Blackthorn has an interesting question for us. If you could save only one entry from this list and the rest vanish from existence, which would it be? Ouch, don't do that. My heart says the Mass Effect trilogy. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a hard choice. It's not easy. I I don't even, that's like just like Sophie's choice times 25. I can't do this. I like them all for different reasons, but... I think that if you said you can only keep one, I would probably keep Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, I'm thinking six Chrono Trigger or fourteen is where I'm landing. Oh, I'd be so happy if no, just kidding. Fourteen can stay. <laughs> or fourteen. If I'm picking a desert island game, I'm taking Final Fantasy fourteen to that desert island, and I will play until Honestly, I'm dead and me still too. have left over. What if you have online connection though? You if can. I don't have online connection, no, it's that's not fair. There's time do enough I, at do last. Do I get a pipe out there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that is crucial. But I, I think the Mass Effect trilogy, again, as we talked about, and the reason why I think even as somebody who put Undertale at the top of their list, I put Mass Effect over in the full ranking. It's because there is nothing like that in, right. I mean, in I games, frankly. It's such an incredible achievement and just the whole story, the whole saga, the whole trilogy of Shepard being carried over and over and all these choices. While you might argue cough, Rachni cough about some choices, not carrying over in the best way uh, in general, that series is incredible the way it carries things over. So like, yeah, if I'm picking one to save from being Thanos snapped out of existence, it, it is the mass effect trilogy. Well, it's defined your career to this point, so I think there's a good reason. Yeah, Mass Effect pays the bills, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Actually, I'd probably keep Pokemon because Pokemon um, was instrumental in me coming out and meeting my current partner, believe it or not. So maybe just for that history, I would keep that one. Uh, One question that I did like that was kind of a late in the game one here what game would you put on the list if we had a more broad context of what an RPG is? Oh, God. And yeah, I would Act put Racer. Dota 2 on there. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would I would nominate Dota 2. I would I mean, legitimately it is kind nominate of a competitive Dota RPG, 2. Right? It is a multiplayer competitive RPG. It is the counter-strike of RPGs. I'd put ActRaiser on there, of course, or uh, 13 Sentinels. I'd put Stardew Valley oh, on there. 13 Sentinels, yeah. 
Stardew, yeah. Stardew's a good, Stardew's Stardew's a good one. Stardew was almost a nomination for me, yeah. Vote the Raven wanted to hear more discussion on notable portable RPGs. Vote the Raven. There is an episode called Our Favorite Portable RPGs that came out on September 30th, 2019 of Axe of the Blood God, and I encourage you uh, to go back and check it out. Um, oh God, I and Celestium like says that maybe next time the top 25 list is revised, there should be discussion on what qualities we're looking for mm. in more discrete terms. And I don't think that's wrong because I think everybody approaches these lists with a different thing or a yeah. different idea of what they want to see on this list. And, you know, when you're building a top 25 list uh, that spans so much history and encompasses so many RPGs and in some ways encompasses so many different subgenres, you start kind of getting this mental idea in your head of like, okay, but I need to represent this, 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 and this. And I need to, well, this game definitely has to be on there. And I need these notable examples. And I'm hitting this broad spread mm-hmm. throughout history and everything. And I think we were trying to do that with, uh, with yeah. this list for the most part. I think um, my main thing is when I was kind of putting together my list, I was just going, yeah, but I want a list of 25 bangers that I can re- recommend without reservation. <laughs> right. That right. encompass a great, broad, you know, uh, that broadly encompasses the genre and also the history of RPGs. And I think we did that. Some I've seen mm-hmm. some people say that the previous 25 was more of a, an RPG history lesson, which, mm-hmm. right. you know, I think is fair, honestly. But, uh, you know, different strokes, I suppose. 25 bangers you can play right now. That's what I'm talking about. Like there you just go. 25 games you can boot up right now and have a darn tootin' good time. But like, I I do think that chasing some sort of empirical perfect list or ranking is in itself just never going to actually materialize because like if we took 25 people from the Discord right now, told them each to name a an RPG that was their number one favorite, random order shuffled all of them and put a list up it could look different or it could look the same and everybody would still have issues with it. And if we told them to rank their number ones, if we took five people and asked them to put in their top fives, like it goes on and on. So I think having criteria is good. And I think establishing that up front is good, but also there's always going to be someone at the end that says, I want act razor in this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, And honestly, that's when we were conceiving the very idea of instead of sitting down and us trying to hammer out a list of 25, but actually having the nominations every week, I think that was part of the reason why the nominations felt fun in the first place was it was not just us going like, well, we do have to put this on the list. It was an excuse for us to gush about these games that we love, even if they're not games that we necessarily think are going to make the list. Vic, you're a great person and you're a wonderful raid leader. Soccer Awards was never going to make that top 25, (laughs) but I love the passion for Soccer Awards. So we put it over in the community vote for it. And that's what I love seeing. I love seeing every week people get super passionate about the things they love. I think that in and of itself holds as much, if not more value than the top 25 itself. Also, I feel like I've learned a lot about RPGs since I started this podcast. And I've learned a lot about RPGs since we last did this top 25 list. And I think an opportunity like this to go back and talk through all of these different RPGs and, and think about them is, you know, it's just a great intellectual exercise at the end of the day. And it's all in fun. But I think so. I am curious to see your top 25 list. Keep sharing them over on the Discord. And if you haven't listened to the episode, it is available now on the free feed. 
And now I vanish into the wind and rain. You got some plunder to go capture. Is it more iced tea you be needing? Okay. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you so much to Kat for, for tuning in from the high seas, from the radio boat out on the high waves and tide to, uh, to talk a little bit about the top 25. Nadia, I think it was a productive discussion. I think it was a good discussion. Is there such a thing as a radio boat? Yeah, I mean, there's there are boats that have radios on them, right? I, I oh, imagine okay. for, yeah. for a Navy or a fleet, there's probably a designated communications boat. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that was nice I of mean, her to go through all that trouble. There's like there's like a boat that's dedicated to fixing the other boats. I know that. Like <laughs> its whole job is just go around and patch up all the other big boats. I, huh. I, I like that little boat. It's just a little guy. <laughs> just a little guy. You know, I got to get on these, the water more often. I, I mean, that's not a water thing. That's just something that I pulled out of my cranium from some point in time when I knew more about boats than I do now. But, you know, there's many ships, big ships, tall ships, small ships, all ships. But the best ship is friendship because it's for you and me. Ugh, the only ship worth a damn is friendship. Nadia, take us home. What's in the nostalgia corner this week? <laughs> well, when I was kind of aching for a, a an idea, you said, well, what about manga? And that's when I kind of remembered. You opened like a Pandora's box on a part of my life when oh, no. I was first start yeah thank you for that oh, when i was first starting out as a writer uh early on i did manga reviews for uh, a couple of sites and i'd be sent like boxes of this stuff and a lot of it mm-hmm. was good and a lot of it was terrible one of the better things i reviewed and this is you, you're not gonna think i'm serious but it's true there's something called them okay it was a porn manga right it was called manga sutra and here's the thing i didn't say hey, can I review this porn manga? That's not really my style, I swear to God. But it was my editor, since I guess it was like in the news because, oh my God, scary sex comics, I guess. They said, hey, can you review this this manga? I'm like, okay, sure. And this was before Amazon really took over the world, at least in Canada. I think shipping to Canada was still monstrously huge, speaking of pornography. So I had to go to a book and mortar store and this was like uh, in Canada, you go to Indigo, which is still around as a, uh, a bookstore. And so I went up. To, I didn't know what I was looking for. And I knew they wouldn't have it out front to begin with. So I went up to the clerk and said, uh, do you have this this porn manga called, <laughs> called Manga Sutra? And I thought for sure she's going to call the cops or tell me to get out or something. But she's like, oh, yeah, we actually have it in the back. <laughs> OK, so <laughs> she goes to the back and brings me back this manga which, I mean, it had two naked people on it, but it was kind of covered by a, a tasteful ribbon, sort of, I guess, like yeah. you, know, you have the, the insert the, or whatever. And I'm like, thank you. Now I get to take this to the cashier and pay for it. <laughs> tasteful, so I, at least. <laughs> so I took it to the cashier. I'm like, one porn manga, please. And they're like, here you go, good citizen. And so I bought the manga and I took it home and I read it. And I said, this is actually a very cute manga in its own kind of filthy way. Uh, just my style. So I reviewed it, and I gave it a good review, and that was the saga of the porn manga that I bought from a brick-and-mortar store, probably during daylight hours, and I 
yeah, it was definitely during daylight hours because coming off my part-time job to go and buy it. Hooray! I, I mean, from the flip side of that, so I myself used to work in a bookstore and we had so much weird stuff come through there because it was a used bookstore. And so oh, even better. you'd be surprised how often people would A, sell that stuff and B, we would buy it because yeah. it would sell. It It does sell. It's not like people buy these things and put them on the shelves and there's just filthy stuff sitting on the shelves <laughs> over there. Like that the stuff moves. Yeah. <laughs> and, and moves pretty fast. So, uh, but yeah, I did just Google search what, what you talked about. And, uh, well, there you go. You know, is that's, it still in that's print? Something. Uh, I don't think it's still in print. Okay. Uh, all I saw, all I saw was kind of some, some covers and some, uh, top you know back of the page or back of the cover uh information about it but uh yeah cal i do wish i turned on safe search so uh when the fbi raids this place you know just remember me fondly but uh yeah i feel awkward enough just so when i went to new york i've told this story before but uh they had a kinu kenia up there and i didn't know that we had one down here in austin so i was like oh my god this is so cool and that's when i found out they're like you know there's one in texas too right and i was like wait what (laughs) and uh but i felt weird enough buying like one volume of manga out of the three i bought there had like a schoolgirl type character on the front and i was like oh this has an anime girl on it this is going to be really Uh, awkward i can't imagine what you felt (laughs) going up there with with that on the front it was just very much a what are you gonna do moment this is for work i swear to god yeah yeah that's that all needs to happen in under cover of darkness you know it's it's just everyone knows what they're getting into but and then i got paid 10 bucks for that review oh and it reimbursed the cost of the the manga Oh, wait, like 10 bucks on top of the reimbursed or 10 bucks yeah, flat? They, they did like 10 bucks per review. So, But like, did they also reimburse you for the cost? They did, did reimburse me for the cost of the manga because usually I got free okay. uh, stuff from publishers that I review. I eventually gave up on the job once they were like, yeah, but can you review Naruto? Yeah, but can you talk about Naruto? Yeah, but can you? No. So I'm like, I don't want to do don't, anything about Naruto. Don't, 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 don't review Naruto. That's no one What's needs to do What's the about that? Naruto? He's a ninja. I, right. I feel like once you get past a certain mark on those series, you know, your My Hero Academias and your Naruto's and your One Pieces, you don't need to review them anymore because they're just going to keep happening. Exactly. And somebody will make some sort of big, long YouTube essay at the end about whether they were good or not. But you don't need the play by play. No, you really don't. Although I do remember I did review. Gosh, it was like the return of Goku, like Yo Song Goku Returns. And that okay, was a big, big okay. deal because that was like their first movie in ages and ages. That's actually a really cute movie. I like that. They are good. Maybe we should talk more about anime and manga in the post show because that's going to do it for our regular episode of Acts of the Blood God this week. I know for the folks in the Stars of Destiny, it felt like a bit of a quick one, but don't worry. We're going to hang around in the post show for a bit and chat it up a little bit. Have a nice time talking. But for those who are listening on the normal feed, this is going to be it for it. Hope you all enjoyed the postmortem and more. If you did, make sure you go and leave a review. You tell your friends. You head over to the Patreon. You support all that we do because the Blood God has kept on growing. It's been great. Uh, you know, yes. we, we did the D&D stream because of how much how many folks we had back in us and and we've got more plans in the works we're looking at a charity stream probably in july is what we're looking at right now doing a big charity blowout stream uh we've got a bunch of specials in the works lined up we do have the summer of gundam is upon us nadia and i are doing our research as we speak yes uh 
And there's there's many other programs we have in the works that should be a good fun time for everybody involved ramping up through the end of the year. So if you like what we do, go and support us. Helps out, helps us do more fun, cool stuff and maybe go out and do some some crazier stuff. You know, if PAX Prime happens or whatever. (laughs) I hope it does. We had a great time at PAX East. We really did. We had a great time. If you want to listen to that panel, it's also on the feed. I believe it was the show segment for that week. So it's one of the past episodes. Uh, But that was a really fun panel with the two of us, Ash Paulson, Scott White. So be sure you check that out. And for everything else, you know, stay tuned here. Patreon.com slash Blood God Pod. We'll see you, Blood God Faithful, next week. (laughs) 